Hello, everyone. Welcome to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Halstead, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of our amazing city. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On some shows, like tonight, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore its history and its current energy. What makes that particular New York neighborhood special? Sometimes we host shows about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood. Prior episodes have covered topics as diverse and illuminating as American presidents who came from, lived in, or who had some history in New York. There are about half of them, by the way. The history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in the city. We've talked about African-American history in the city going back to the time of the Dutch. History of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling. We've looked at the history of punk and opera. They were, fav- they were different shows, even though I'm a fan of both. We've looked at our public library systems. We actually have three in New York. We only have one or two. We have three. We've looked at our greatest train stations and even some of our bridges. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcast. You can get us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and some other services. Tonight, we are journeying to the Bronx, to Riverdale, which is one of my favorite neighborhoods in the Bronx and one of the most beautiful. Uh, Our first guest is a Rediscovering New York regular and the show's special consultant, David Griffin. David is a lifelong architectural enthusiast, providing creative sales-enhancing services for the national real estate community. He's the founder and CEO of Landmark Branding. His clients include architects and design firms, in addition to developers, brokers, and marketing companies. David's Room at the Top series, co-hosted with Jennifer Wallace of Nascent Art New York, is the only ongoing networking series in real estate to feature tours of Manhattan's greatest buildings, and I've been lucky to participate in some of them. David's latest blog, Every Building on Fifth, documents every single building on Fifth Avenue from Washington Square right up to where Fifth Avenue ends at the Harlem River, in Harlem, by the way. His writing has appeared in Real Estate Weekly, Metropolis, Dwell, and the National Trust's Preservation Magazine. (coughs) David, welcome back to Rediscovering New York. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, Sorry we're not in studio again due to the pandemic, but it's great to be able to see you. Uh, And you have such a good connection tonight, too. The picture is so clear, crystal clear on Zoom. Thank you. Um, You're a regular, and some of our listeners know you and your background, but some don't. Um, You're from the greater area, but not from the city itself, at least not originally. No, I grew up on Long Island until I was about 12, and then we moved up to the Hudson River Valley, uh, which is where my grandmother was living, and we've been here more or less ever since. I have lived in the city um, for quite a while as an adult after college. I always sort of considered myself a New Yorker, as New York was always the city. That's where you went to go into the city. And uh, yeah, it was uh, sort of, you know, when you're in this area, you begin to notice older buildings and their histories. Uh, and it just was something that kind of led one thing to another, to uh, an interest in architecture and built mm-hmm. environment. I mean, New York has one of the most fabulous built environments in the world. How did you get interested in architectural history and specifically in New York architectural history, David? Well, um, my siblings and I were among the earliest children to be actually workers for the uh, New York State Park System, um, or I should say a park in New York State. Old Bethpage Restoration hired us as costumed interpreters when we were all very little, and we wore clothing from the period of the 1850s, 1860s, so around the American Civil War, and we demonstrated how children would have played games back then, what sort of games you know, children played, um, things like tops, blocks, that kind of thing. Um, we had a chance to actually stay over occasionally in some of the old houses that had been moved to the museum. And I think that really kind of awoke something in me where I was sort of like, wow, these buildings there, they're old. They're not like new buildings. They have a sort of a story that they can tell. They've seen things. People have lived here, lived very different lives. And that just one thing led to another, and it's always been something that's sort of interested me throughout my life. It's kind of the, the where's and the why's and the what's of the environment. Hmm. 
Well, Riverdale, Riverdale actually, when so much of New York is really um, uh, old, it's, it's had people from Europe here for, for almost 400 years. Um, but one question I always like to ask, and we're also going to touch a little bit on the history of Spite and Dyville. Spite and Dyville is right below Riverdale in a little uh, space of land uh, across uh, the Harlem River. Um, kind of like Dumbo and Vinegar Hill, people sort of associate them together right, because they're exactly. uh, the same uh, 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 geographically. And, and you cross the river and you feel like you're in, in Riverdale when actually it's first in, in Spite and Dyville. Um, were there local uh, native Lenape peoples living in what would later become Riverdale before it was settled by Europeans? Yes. I mean, the Lenape people lived up and down the entire length of the, the Hudson River Valley and throughout the state. Um, they were less populous in places like the Catskills because the terrain was so uneven uh, and game was a little bit harder to sort of manage, although they did have, they had hunting expeditions that went into the mountains. But the entire area around here was, was a populated place very much so. Mm. Well, before we talk about European settlement in Riverdale, um, there's a colorful bit of history that you shared with me earlier that involves yes. this part of the Bronx right across from the northernmost part of Manhattan Island. What, uh, what happened? It's, it's sort of one of the very earliest sort of folk heroes, if you will, in what has now come to be American history, although it happened at the time of the Dutch colonies. So the United States was not you know, even an idea back then. Uh, there was a man named Anthony von Corlear, who was a trumpeter for the Dutch garrison set up then in New Amsterdam. And he was noted to have a very lively personality. He was rather peppery. Um, he was very stout. Um, when he wasn't working for the garrison, he also played music at dances and things of this nature. And he was you know, one of those kind of larger-than-life figures. According to legend in 1642, Peter Stives, the colonial governor of uh, New Amsterdam Colony in New York, having learned of an English expedition that was on its way to kind of seize control, evidently ordered Van Corlear to rouse the villages along the Hudson River with a trumpet call to war, sort of like Paul Revere saying, the British are coming, the British are coming. Well, poor Anthony didn't get any further than spite and dival, because it was a storming evening when he arrived at the upper end of Manhattan, there was no ferryman available, so he decided he would swim across the Harlem River, quote-unquote, in spite of the devil, which is where many people think the name Spite and Devil came from, but he drowned in the attempt. Um, some sources state that this region derives its name from that. However, it may also be a botched rendition of the words devil spout or spouting devils, as there were very turbulent currents in that part of the river, and they could look like something was underneath the water, sort of blowing bubbles upwards. So six of one half dozen of another. Well, there uh, still are if you, uh, uh, you know, hang out in Spite and Dival down by the Metro North Station or on yes, the Inwood side. You can, you can see the water turning. Exactly. So Van Corlear has another major landmark named after him, actually up in the Highlands. Um, there was a, uh, a joke that they used to make. He was, no he was noted for having this enormous shiny red nose, uh, probably... Uh, you know, we know where that came from. One story related by someone named Charles M. Skinner tells of a sturgeon killed by a ray of sunlight reflected off the nose. Um, Anthony's Nose Mountain up in the Highlands is a humorous reference to that fishing story. But speaking about fish, there was a witness to Van Corlear's death who stated that, quote unquote, the devil in the shape of a giant fish swam up and proceeded to seize Anthony by the leg and drag him into the waves. And people now think that that may have been the earliest recorded shark attack in the <laughs> world. That that wasn't just, you know, hocus pocus or, you know, folk pathology. A sh a something could have been coming in up the river, seeing him and just, you know, taking it. Well, you know, one of the things I love about New York uh, is that uh, New York has it all, as A. Beam yes. used to say, former A. Beam, including apparently the first recorded shark attack in the world. Um, <laughs> Uh, when did Europeans first started to settle in Riverdale? Well, there were settlers from the colonial period, but there weren't very many of them. And then finally, in the late 17th century, Frederick Phillips, who was the Lord of Phillips Manor in Westchester County. Um, at this point, this was now a British colony. So he received permission to construct a bridge across Spite and Dival Creek and charge tolls. So King's Bridge was located roughly south of to where West 230th Street is today, 
and it opened in 1693, the original bridge. So this helped open up the location as a whole to gradual development, although it remained relatively untouched until the 19th century. It was still mm. very, very rural. And then even in the 19th century, you had the beginning of what became the, the age of estates as wealthy New Yorkers moving up from Manhattan um, established big country farms up in that neck of the woods. So you had lavish properties, but they were surrounded by farmland. They were surrounded by vast lawns. It wasn't suburbia the way we would think of it now, and it wasn't what it looks like now either. It was houses kind of staked out over large portions of land, a little bit like Millbrook up in Dutchess County. Now, I want to um, uh, go back a little bit. I just realized something that uh, uh, one of the uh, New York City got its New Amsterdam got its charter in 1653, due in no small part to this uh, uh, guy named Adrian Vanderdonk. Uh, uh, his estate was mostly in Yonkers by the water, but it did go down into Riverdale. There's a great book about Vanderdonk and about how New York got its charter. It's called The Island at the Center of the World. Uh, written by Russell Shorto, who has said he would be on my show sometime. I'd hopefully talk to him about uh, uh, colonial Dutch history. Um, so now we move to the 19th century, and then uh, estates started to be built, built, built in the area. Are there any remnants of those estates today? Yes. Um, in northern Riverdale, what is now the Filston area, was part of the estate of Major Joseph Delafield, who purchased 250 acres in 1829 and named it after an ancestral estate in England. Um, one of the most remarkable houses to survive is Grayston, which is one of the largest domestic designs of James Brownwick Jr., who is the designer of St. Patrick's Cathedral, the main building at Vassar College, and the castle at the Smithsonian Institution. So it's, a, it's quite an amazing structure that sort of works in both English and Dutch Gothic motifs. It was expanded over the years many times, and currently, I believe, was, was restored extensively in the 1990s, early 2000s, and is now a private home. So, and that still sits on a, a nice plot of land. Uh, I think Renwick was, also designed the uh, room, uh, the smallpox hospital, which is on well uh, on Roosevelt Island. Yes. And I've got to say, from my window, he actually designed the All Saints Church, which is down the block from me on 130th Street and okay. Madison Avenue. Okay. Um, yeah, that that is a gorgeous church too. But yeah, yeah, he was a very very talented designer, and not much of his domestic output survives uh, in contrast to the churches and public buildings that he did. Um, I think the probably the most significant um, estate to survive from that period when there were large houses surrounded by these very garden-like environments uh, is Wave Hill, which is really quite magnificent. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful sort of locations, I think, in the Bronx or actually in the city itself. Uh, the original house was built in 1843 for the lawyer William Lewis Morris. Um, William Henry Appleton was a very famous publisher, moved in, and he enlarged the house extensively within the 1860s, 1890s. He added greenhouses, he added gardens. Uh, the list of people who have stayed in or lived at Wave Hill is really remarkable. I can't think of any other house within the city itself that has uh, such an amazing kind of list of people. Um, Thomas Henry Huxley, who was an associate of Charles Darwin, helped bring evolution by natural selection to the public's attention. Theodore Roosevelt's family rented Wave Hill during the summers. Mark Twain leased it for three years. Um, there, the Harriman family built the house next door. It was later rebuilt in 1927 in the colonial revival style. Um, and there were other people like Arturo Toscanini, the, the great conductor, uh, chief members of the British delegation from the United Nations. And then finally in 1960, the suggestion of Robert Moses, the Perkins Freeman family who then owned the house, deeded Wave Hill to the city of New York. In 1983, it was added to the roster of National, um, National Register of Historic Places and then was renamed Wave Hill in 1987 and opened mm -hmm. to the public as a botanical garden and historic home. The thing that really makes that place so marvelous, in addition to the fact that you know, the house is very distinguished, the gardens are absolutely amazing, but the views of the Palisades and the Hudson River are just stupendous. Um, Riverdale is on the highest point in New York City. Uh, that's actually as high as the actual city goes. So there are various locations around Riverdale where you can actually see, for example, the Empire State Building, or you can see the George Washington Bridge. Um, but in Wave Hill, you just have this amazing view of the river and of the Palisades that I think um, is really very difficult to find in terms of like a garden location, except, of course, for, you know, Inwood Park and the area around the cloisters where 
you also get something of that. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our program on Riverdale and continue our conversation with my first guest, David Griffin of Landmark Branding. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're back to Rediscovering New York and our episode on Riverdale in the Bronx. My first guest is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. David is also the program special consultant. And David and I have a long history of collaboration with events and things related to architecture. David, tell us a little bit about Landmark Branding and what you do. Well, Jeff, I provide um, creative services and support, uh, marketing support for real estate professionals, uh, brokers, developers, uh, tenants of historic and architectural significant buildings, um, designers and architects, I've worked with them all. I do everything from text for websites to creating VIP events, special tours, um, working on promotional materials, outreach to both prospective clients and prospective buyers. And basically, I'm there to kind of provide context for the development of the sale or marketing of a historic property. Um, I've written for Brownstoner. Uh, and also work with numerous brokers uh, to create listings. Um, I really feel it's very important to be able to convey, you know, the the aesthetics of the uh, the apartment or the house or the building, and as well as you know its functionality. And uh, I have a blog which you've mentioned before, every building on Fifth, every single building on Fifth Avenue with a pocket history and a single photograph. Uh, I'm actually reviving that now in the, in the process of the pandemic. I've I take some archival photographs. I'm going back. I'm kind of looking at certain locations, kind of bringing it up to date. Also, maybe expanding it a little bit and giving people a look at locations outside of New York City altogether, as I live up in the Hudson River Valley. Uh, I've got a book project I'm working on, several of them, in fact, some fiction, some non. And yeah, so just very uh, interested always in the stories to be told about great buildings, uh, great architecture, and great design. And how can people get in touch with you and find out about, about your business? My website is www.landmarkbranding.com. And my email is dgriffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N, at landmarkbranding.com. The blog, Every Building on Fifth, is also on the website. And anyone who has any questions can always reach me through there. Great. You know, one thing about that strikes me about Riverdale is that even its more recent residential development has different and distinct parts to it. Um, there were sort of, you know, different parts of Riverdale were developed many years apart and also in different architectural styles. Um, and its first residential development was more suburban. The more urban development came later on. Um, what spurred the, the development of 
Riverdale as being more of a suburb as opposed to a place where, where people had country estates? It was really the normalizing of the railroad commute. Um, at that point, uh, the um, Grand Central Depot was the original name of the station, was being developed. Uh, the Vanderbilts were determined to have a, a Hudson River line, which they did, as in addition to the Harlem River and the New Haven line. And so all of a sudden, you could work in the midtown Manhattan, say, get into the train and be at home in a reasonable period of time, um, as reasonable as any other commute to a major sort of um, you know, residential area in New York City. And this became more and more attractive. And then uh, later on in the early 20th century, the IRT came through and there was at last an elevated train station. And that opened it up much more broadly to more intense suburban development as more and more people were able to use the subway than even the passenger trains offered through Grand Central Terminal. So those two things really, at different times, you understand, uh, kind of opened up the gate, as it were. And I think it's why the earlier development was pitched much more towards sort of the CEO side of things. And the later development was much more sort of middle class because it was different modes of transportation that were bringing the people you know, back, back and forth to, to their places of work. Mm. But um, the guidelines for Riverdale overall were very strict in terms of the design that was allowed there. Um, they really sought to publicize the fact that these were quality homes, that the homes were distinctive, that they were not, uh, that they were very individual. In other words, they didn't, they didn't really want the houses to look exactly alike. They weren't doing the sort of identical row houses that were popular, say, in Brooklyn, you know, 20 or 30 years before. Uh, they wanted something where each house had its own kind of distinct personality. Mm. One thing that's really distinct about Riverdale and also Spite and Dival is that they, you know, most of New York follows a kind of a conventional street grid. Yes. Um, and in Riverdale, with the possible exception of Broadway as the main spine going through the neighborhood on one side, you know, even Riverdale Avenue is not a, is not in a straight line. Um and this part of the Bronx was actually part of New York City when New York City had a grid. Why don't we have more of a grid in Riverdale and also in Spite and Dyville? Well, when the grid was really sort of marching through the area, most of Riverdale was still owned by relatively few people. And the roads that they were using either predated the grid or they were put in to follow what was called the picturesque style, because that was the style of architecture popular in the early 19th century. So in the picturesque style, you don't take the shortest distance between point A and point B. You want to kind of meander around and curve through the woods and the this and the that and have these little glimpses of views and things. So whatever roads were already existing were very much kind of following the contours of the land. Now, when Feldston and uh, the other areas in Riverdale were being developed, um, the civil engineer, Albert Wheeler, who was responsible for laying out the streets, followed suggestions made by none other than Frederick Law Olmsted, the designer of Central Park. And this was part of Olmsted's initiative, very much so, a kind of a spread of what was called the Garden City movement. You see it, you do see it in New York, elsewhere in Queens, you see it particularly in Forest Hills, Forest Hills Gardens, which is a very beautiful example. You see it in Chicago, in the Hyde Park area in Chicago. And you see it in certain other suburbs of this kind are all around the country. And in New York, most of them are Riverdale or places like Bronxville, for example, that borders the Bronx, but is very much, it's almost like Riverdale, the sequel when you look at it architecturally. So the idea is that you have these streets that actually follow nature, that are restful, that are relaxing. And another thing that they kind of do is they prevent a lot of rapid through traffic. If you have a grid then people are like, oh, it doesn't matter what speed I take to get to, you know, from point A to point B, this is the easiest way and I'm going to go this way. But when you don't have that, then you're kind of forced to make decisions about how you're going to get from point A to point B that cut down on things like commercial traffic. So I think there was something like that at the back of it too. But the roads up there to this day are very winding. They're very labyrinthine. I have friends in Riverdale. It's actually really easy to get lost, <laughs> uh, you know, just sort of lose your way up there. Uh, but Except the, for the expert real estate agent uh, who exactly, we don't lose our way so easily. <laughs> exactly. But the, the, the thing is, is that you're sort of meant to have a chance to get lost in a place like that. You're sort of meant to find these walks and, and lanes and quiet roads that kind of are about that type of experience. Mm. 
Well, some pretty famous people lived in Riverdale in the past hundred years, including a president of the United States. Not when he was president, but before, way, way before that. Yes, although it's not well known, and I know you and I touched upon this in our, um, our episode on the presidents of America in New York City. Uh, from 1927-1929, Riverdale was the boyhood home of JFK Jr., uh, his father uh, bought. You mean John uh, Kennedy, not JFK Jr. Oh well, yes, John F. Uh, John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Um, yes, right. Sorry about that. But he, his father, bought a large Georgian-style mansion, and they stayed there only for a few years. But it was a place where he was growing up. Um, there were a number of other residents, uh, including the composer Bella Bartok, uh, the singer Ella Fitzgerald lived in Riverdale. Uh, baseball players Willie Mays and Lou Gehrig both lived in Riverdale. Uh, the artist Alexander Calder lived there, as did his father, Alexander Calder Sr., who was mostly known in Philadelphia. He moved his family to New York and they lived in Riverdale. Um, actor Tracy Morgan, I believe, lives there now. Singer Carly Simon had a house in Riverdale. And the district was also the home of Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia during his final years. He spent the last three years of his life in a very picturesque Tudor-style house. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't realize this until we we spoke shortly before the show. There was another very large house built for a historical figure who never actually occupied it. It was neither yes. a church, a monastery, a convent, nor any other religious institution. Do you want to talk about the house? Yes. Jesus? This this is sort of the uh, the the one famous person who didn't live in Riverdale. Um, in 1928, there was a woman named Genevieve Ludlow Griscom, and she was a member of a small religious group called the Outer Quarter of the Order of the Living Christ. And she had deep pockets and built an enormous mansion for the express purpose of being the home of Jesus Christ. Um, he did not manifest himself. Uh, I don't know if it was because he didn't like the house. <laughs> but regardless, uh, it fell into disrepair and was derelict for many, many years under successive owners. Uh, finally, it was bought in 1987 by an entrepreneur named Jerry Kabutin, who renovated it into an even more opulent house. And uh, it recently sold in January of 2017 for $6.25 So, But that is, I think, the only house purposely built for, well... Jesus Christ superstar mm. uh, in the entire country uh, that was not, of course, a church of some sort, which is also obviously the, the house of God. And therefore, his son can come and mm. stay. Riverdale is known for some really famous schools. Yes, um, there are a number of them. It's, uh, it's home to two of the, what are called the Hill Schools. One is the Horace Mann School, and the other is the Ethical Culture School in Fieldston. Uh, the third, which is called Riverdale Country School, lies just outside Fieldston to the north. And the district borders Manhattan College, which is located in Manhattan College Parkway, which is the neighborhood's southern boundary, commonly accepted mm -hmm. southern boundary. And um, the third largest park in New York City, actually, it borders Riverdale. It's Van Cortlandt Park. Yes, it is. It's all, I think the only parks that are larger are the ones out in Queens. And the other thing about um, that park is that along with Fort Inwood, it is one of only two parks that they know have old growth forest left in them to any significant extent. Mm. So there's a tract of that park that is still wild and dates back to before the coming of white settlers. Mm. And David, we in the minute we have left, where is Riverdale now as New York neighborhoods go? What, what kind of a place is it to live? We're going to also touch upon that with our second guest who will be on in a couple of minutes. You know, Riverdale, it continues really to be a very desirable area. You know, I've been up there very recently as I do have friends who live in the area. It really is just one of the most beautiful neighborhoods in New York. And I'd say it's one of the most beautiful neighborhoods, urban neighborhoods in the United States. Um they have a, you know, uh, there's a lot of demand for it. It's one of the most uh, sort of expensive neighborhoods in New York City. It's considered one of the most sought after residential neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. There are apartment buildings up there as well that were developed from the 50s onward. Some of them are smaller, sort of low six-story red brick ones. You have a couple really larger ones. Uh, but there's also a lot of um, historic districts. There are two major historic districts in Riverdale that protect something like 500 buildings between them. 
And so a lot of the old characters kind of guaranteed, fortunately, to remain even as newer development begins to intersperse itself throughout the area. Mm. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for being our first guest on our show about Riverdale. Our first guest has been David Griffin of Landmark Branding. David's also the special consultant for Rediscovering New York, and you can reach David and see his work at www.landmarkbranding.com. Yeah. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we have a special guest. I don't think I've ever had someone who was in the baking business before, but this is just not any old baking business. This is a really uh, a stalwart and uh, community place where, where, where there's great cake. I'm going to leave you in suspense for about a minute and a half. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I am Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's seven o'clock every Thursday evening. The mind behind leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. back and you're back to rediscovering new york support for the program comes from our sponsors the mark myman team mortgage strategist at freedom mortgage for assistance in any kind of residential mortgage mark and his team can be reached at 646-330-4735 and support also comes from the law offices of thomas siaka specializing in wills estate planning probate and inheritance litigation tom and his staff can be reached at 212-495-0317 Our show is about New York, its neighborhoods, its history, and the myriad textures of New York City. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning New York with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. You can hear him on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles on those channels are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. One of the note before we get to our second guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about real estate, when I am not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in our amazing city, where I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent property. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest on Rediscovering New York on our program about Riverdale is Betty Campbell Adams. Betty is the owner and manager of Lloyd's Carrot Cake, the venerable boutique bakery that was started 35 years ago by her husband, Lloyd Adams. She began running the company immediately following his death in 2007. Over the years, not only has Lloyd's developed a large following, it has garnered great reviews. 
New York Magazine rates the carrot cake and Lloyd's as one of the one of their critics' favorites. The Daily News has labeled it as "quote twenty four carrot good." Lloyd's carrot cake has been featured on the Food Network's "The Best Thing I Ever Ate." It was noted in O Magazine as being good to the last crumb. And if all that wasn't enough, in 2018, Lloyd's was honored as the Taste of New York by the New York Hospitality Alliance. It has to be the most reviews of carrot cake I've ever heard in my life. Betty is a cable industry veteran. Prior to taking over the family business, she was the director of marketing for Time Warner Cable of New York. But her work doesn't stop with commercial. She's involved in nonprofits. She's on the board of the Child Welfare Organizing Project, an East Harlem organization whose mission is to change and improve the quality of services provided to families affected by New York's child protection systems. She's also a board member of KRVC Development Corporation. It's an organization supporting local initiatives that build and enrich communities in Kingsbridge, Riverdale, and Van Cortland. Uh, and also the Riverdale Main Street Alliance. In 2017, Ms. Campbell Adams was honored by the New York State Assembly as the Bronx Businesswoman of the Year. Betty is a native of Puerto Limon in Costa Rica. She immigrated with her parents to the United States and New York as a youngster. She attended elementary and junior high school in New York and is a graduate of City College of the City University of New York. Betty Campbell Adams, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York. You are muted. Hold on a second. Uh, I think you have to unmute yourself. There we go. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Um, how old were you when you moved to to New York? I was uh, ten years old. What yeah. was it? What was it like being ten, coming to not just a new country and a new city, but uh, I've not been to Costa Rica, but I think it's pretty quiet by New York standards. What was it like? Uh, immigrating here as 10 and then being thrust into a big city, a new country, a new school system? You, you know, it was quite uh, exhilarating for one. I was so looking forward when my parents told us to sort of prepare ourselves mentally uh, for this trip that we're going to make to the United States of America, New York in particular. I started reading all kinds of books about New York and sort of envisioning, you know, what it would be like. So I was really excited about being here. And I came here and really got thrust into the swing of New York, um, you know, with the friends, my friends at, at school. And and so I made a it's sort of a quick transition. It was not difficult for me, I have to say. Mm. Well, you attended City College, Betty, which really is the crown jewel of the City University. Um after that, you established your career in marketing. What was your path after college that took you to the world of marketing? Well, you know, while I was at college, I got involved in my college radio station. And that sort of piqued my interest in communications. And so, um, you know, I took a couple of courses in communications and I went to get my FCC first class license. At the time, a woman having a first class uh, FCC first class license was a was a um, Quite a, quite a thing to have. And so I did that and managed to land um, a spot. After I got the license, I managed to land a spot at the cable company. And so, so that was sort of the beginnings of my, uh, cable current, my cable and marketing career. Oh, well, that's one thing that you and I share. Aside from having had a career in marketing, I sold advertising. Uh, I got my start in radio at my college radio station. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was a great AR Poughkeepsie, 92.3 <laughs> Poughkeepsie Free Radio. I had the opera show on Sundays, actually. Um, Getting to Lloyd's, Lloyd's Carrot Cake has been in business for 35 years. Your husband, Lloyd, was not a baker by training and indeed had a career different from business and also from baking. What had him decide to start a baking business? Well, you know, we have to sort of give um, his friends sort of the, um, the kudos for, for, for sort of piquing his interest in, in, getting, in getting Lloyd's Carrot Cake started. He had a local basketball team. He was very much into basketball around the Harlem area. And after the games, uh, local games, they would gather at his house. He was the only one with cable at the time. This is back in the 70s. And, and Manhattan was the only area with cable at the time. And so they would gather in his apartment. And while they're watching the games, he would be baking for them. And so, you know, I don't know which one of the friends, but one of them decided that he ought to do something with that recipe. The recipe he had, it was his grandmother's. It hails from uh, the Virgin Islands. And uh, he did uh, a couple of uh, tweaking, if you will, to create his own sort of signature recipe. And, um, you know, the start was uh, was back then when he was baking for his friends. He decided that, that, that he would do something with it and went around to a couple of restaurants in New York City, Sylvia being one of them, the, 
the, the famed Sylvia's restaurant and she decided to, she would take this cake. And that's pretty much how uh, we got started. Um, the business model was just to, to service wholesale um, restaurants and sort of coffee shop, local coffee shops and restaurants in the area. But um, as you know, we've now, we have a very robust retail operation. Well, the retail operation started, I think, a year or two after after the business opened up. Yeah, you know, we moved to just to, just to go back a little bit. We started baking in my um, father's building in East Harlem, and we used the basement. We put a pizza oven in there and was baking at night after work. And um, he would deliver in the morning. Um, but the business got to the point where we needed a bigger space. My husband Lloyd knew. Um, the owner of the building that we now were, that we now are using. Um, and he in Riverdale, in Riverdale, right on Broadway across from Van Cortland park, which you talked about earlier. Um, and he, um, he rented the space and it was just for expediency purpose, how we got to Riverdale because the space was available. We needed it. So we took it, but you know, mm. it happened to be the best decision we ever made about, um, uh, about moving to, to Riverdale. Hmm. I'd like to ask you a sort of a personal question. Um, mm-hmm. Lloyd was from a different part of the Caribbean, in a different part, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. You're from right. from the other end of uh, of the of the of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. How did you all meet? <laughs> we we met at at a disco, believe it or not. <laughs> um, we we were. I, I love dancing, and he was one person who also enjoyed dancing. And we went out, and I was doing during my college years, and. You know, we we connected at a at a discotheque. Were you engaged, Betty, in the management of the business before you took it over? Very much so. Even while I was working my job, you know, after work, I'd come home and help him. We would grate the carrots, and grease the pans, and did I did whatever it is uh, he needed me to do to get the cakes baked and ready for distribution in the morning. Mm. I want to ask you another personal question. Um, when Lloyd died. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of considerations did you have and maybe feelings about about taking over the business as its as its full time manager? Um, you know, it, it, it became a family business and I had no reservations about giving it up or, or you know, sort of selling it. Um, in fact, my kids would not even allow me to do that. So it was it made for sort of a quick transition. In fact, a year after he passed, the company downsized, and I was part of that downsizing. So I was able to make a quick transition because I had already been involved with the business. Um, and it's, you know, I'm so glad I did that. Hmm. Would you say that that your career in marketing gave you advantages in being the owner of a, of a retail baking business? Absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, a lot of the, the skills um, that I'm now using in this business, I you know, was honed at the uh, um, at the, at the cable company. Mm. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Betty Campbell Adams. Betty is the owner of the famous Lloyd's carrot cake, which is not only in Riverdale, there's also a location in East Harlem, not far from where I live. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Talking alternative radio, 24 hours a day. curious person always asking questions do you desire to be in the know then join me antonia host of so now you know thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc listen in as i attempt to satisfy that curiosity i will be talking with amazing everyday people join the fun so now you know on thursdays at 5 p.m at talkradio.nyc are you a conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. TalkingAlternative.com 
to Rediscovering New York on our episode on Riverdale. And my second guest is Betty Campbell Adams, the owner of the famous Lloyd's Carrot Cake. Betty, before I talk a little bit more about Riverdale, um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your nonprofit leadership. Um, when did you first get involved in, in, in helping nonprofit organizations? I got involved with uh, CWAP, the non-for-profit, which is the East Harlem um, organization, about six years ago. I had a friend who was um, who had been involved with the organization, and she sort of encouraged me to be, to come and uh, get involved. And I became a board member. It's an organization that sort of um, work on behalf of families and children that are affected by the child welfare um, agencies. Mm-hmm. And how, when did you first get involved with CBOP? I got involved with CBOP about, about six years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how you're, you also live in Riverdale, aside from having your, your business's uh, main location. Um, how long have you lived in Riverdale for? Uh, we've been here for about some 20 years now. Mm. Um, yeah. But the so store got... It's real easy to be close to your place of business. <laughs> The you opened the business there. You and Lloyd opened the business there mm-hmm. before you moved to Riverdale. Um, right. um, what was it that had you? Because you know Riverdale's a long way from East Harlem. You know what, what was it about that location of Riverdale that that had Lloyd and you say this is it? It, this it is, is as do. I said, it was for purely out of expediency. The the space was available and the landlord was willing to rent it to Lloyd. Mm-hmm. We needed the space. It was just that simple. <laughs> Describe the vibe of Riverdale, Betty. What is it that you that you like about it? Riverdale, you know, I've seen the change. It's it's it's, it's becoming more diverse and you know more eclectic, if you will. And um, it's it's been a, a really sort of energy that is that's that's propelling now in Riverdale. Um, we're across from the park, as you know, and we get. Um, you know, lots of people who are coming to the park to run in races. A lot of the college students, as you know, and high school students are there. Their families come. And as a result of that, you know, the, the word about Lloyd get, is extended beyond Riverdale. Um, so the vibe is, 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 is energetic, if you will. I mean, there are lots of restaurants that are opening along Broadway, as you know. Uh, and to bringing more people to the neighborhood, and so it's it's a it's a great place for us to be at this point. Is there anything that you feel makes Riverdale unique? What I find unique about Riverdale is it's it's close to the city, so you could you know you, you're close to the madness madness of the city, the the chaos of the city, if you will, but yet still far apart from it. You know, you've got so many different transportation options to get to the city. And um, if you want to be in, you know, in that energy, and then when you come to Riverdale, you know, there's a um, a feeling of, of serenity that that exists here. And By the way, so, how, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what I find really attractive about it. Uh, how far is the store from the last up on the one train, by the way? <laughs> so, uh, it's one block. One block, okay. <laughs> one, one, one block, yeah. So you can so go to the end of the line good. on the one and, uh, and, mm-hmm. then, and, then, and then get some really great, great carrot cake. Um, do you know if most of your customers for your Riverdale store um, actually live in Riverdale or do they come from other places to, to get Our their customers fix? customers come from so many different places and they're always anxious to tell you how far they've come. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether it's from Queens, Long Island, New Jersey or Brooklyn, whatever it is, they want to let you know where they've come from. So, uh, uh, in fact, I, I think I'd put up a map just to sort of... <laughs> you know, know where all our customers are coming from. But yeah, they're, they, they're, they're coming from all over. And yes, we do have a significant amount of our customer base, our Riverdalians, but, uh, you know, mo- a lot of our customers are coming from so many other places. And you also ship your cakes, not only across the U.S., but people have taken them outside the country. Is, uh... that's, that's exactly right. And just recently, during this pandemic time, we've uh, teamed up with Goldbelly. And so now we're shipping cakes around the country. But yeah, people, and that's another thing too, you know, when they're taking our cakes to other places, to other countries, they're also anxious to tell you where they're taking it. (laughs) So, um, you know, we we get that as Mm. well. 
Well, I used to have an interesting experience. I, I used to live in Borum Hill, mm-hmm. uh, about a five minute walk from Juniors. And I, when I used to travel, um, I would go to Juniors and I wouldn't get their cheesecake that shipped. I got their strawberry cheese pie. And when uh, I got on the plane, you'd always uh, know who were the New Yorkers because they would see that bag and they would, right. know, uh, you know, and they think, oh, someone's really lucky to be getting that. Um, the same is true with people who uh, get Lloyd's carrot cake. Um, you know, I have to ask you, Betty, as much as you can share it, um, what makes Lloyd's carrot cake so special? What's uh, I don't not 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 what's the secret sauce, but what is it about it that makes it that makes it so great? No, I think what makes it special is the fact that it's from scratch, as as, as we know we know this. Um, we don't use any artificial ingredients. Mm. It's the kind of cake that your mom and your grandmother would make, mm. and so that's the feeling that we want to <laughs> have, and that we'll continue to um, to um, to push to our customers. And that is, this is the cake that your grandmother would have made. Uh, It's made purely from scratch, as I said before. Uh, There are no artificial ingredients for extenders. It's all hand hand done. The only machine that we use are obviously the mixers, but everything else, even the application of the frosting is is, um, is, is done by hand. So I think that that's, that's part of it. And that's part of the appeal of Lloyd's Carrot Cake. How much carrot goes into one cake? Um, we we do about six cups of carrots in in one cake. So and that's the other that's the other thing that makes this cake so different from any other carrot cake is the amount of carrots that we use in our carrot cake. We go through between fifteen hundred and two thousand pounds of carrots a week. Wow, a week. Um, and and you know it's bugs bunny heaven. <laughs> and I've said this before. A lot of people use pineapples as fillers and, you know, sort of moistures uh, to, to moisten their cakes, we use the carrot and the juice that comes from the carrot. And that's what I think is so special about what we do. Mm. Well, aside from CWAP, you're also involved in several business organizations in and around Riverdale, including the Riverdale Main Street Alliance. Right. Um, as a business owner, Betty, is there anything that you struggle with in Riverdale? Um, you know, what I struggle with, in Riverdale is, um, I, I, I think there needs to be more of a collective with, with the Riverdale Merchants Group. And the, while I am part of the Riverdale Merchants Association, it's just a very small group. Um, we were hoping that we could sort of bring in the Southern group, the Southern Riverdalian um, um, merchants. Um, that's the one thing that I see that I think is missing um, is, is sort of a more cohesive um more cohesive um, uh, work with all the Riverdalian merchants. Mm. Is maybe a, a, a clue to, to uh, someone who may be thinking about opening up a business. Is there any kind of business that you wish were in Riverdale right now, but that wasn't? Um, I'm just trying. I mean, Riverdale has, there are lots of restaurants. Um, I mean, I, I think that um, you know some of some some arts artists uh, sort of artist um, uh, enclave. I think is, is is also could be used in in Riverdale. Um, I'm, I'm just you know trying trying to think of what else would be missing. I mean, we have uh, we have a lot of a lot of organiz- a lot of businesses here. Is there any special advice that, you know, as someone who's, who's, who lives in Riverdale and has done business there for 35 years now, um, is there any special advice that you would have for someone who's looking to open up a business in Riverdale? Keep doing what you're doing. Mm. <laughs> Keep doing it. You know, when we got here, um, the business was slow. The, re- the retail business was slow. Um, and it took a while for their, for their, um, for us to get traction on the retail side. And so what I say is just stick with it. Mm. Speaking of sticking with it, do you have planned, do you see yourself opening up another Lloyd's in another location? Um, we're thinking about it. Um, you know, there we've, we've gotten so many requests to open a Lloyd's, whether it's in, you know, the South and South Carolina, whether it's Florida, um, Georgia, but there are other places that we are considering um, and so I think in the next year or so, we'll, we'll give it some more thought and uh, maybe put a plan together. Oh, 
Um, well, you already have one in my neighborhood. <laughs> I got to get uh, my butt down there. I actually don't have to go to Riverdale to uh, to enjoy Lloyd's. That's right. Um, well, Betty Campbell Adams, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, our second guest has been Betty Campbell Adams. Betty is the owner of Lloyd's Carrot Cake, the famous Lloyd's Carrot Cake, which is located on Broadway across from Van Cortlandt Park and a block from the last stop on the one train. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Uh, well, we've just finished this week's trip to Riverdale with Betty and David Griffin as our guests. If you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on our mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoveringnewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook. My handle there is Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Mark Myman team, mortgage strategist at Freedom Mortgage, and the law offices of Tom Siaka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off. I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate and in Riverdale. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646-306-4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier. Our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Our special consultant is, yes, David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I am Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader. The personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real leaders. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a curious person always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. 